in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melvardis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Tonight's the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me, as he has for the last three years for my October dealer's choice, I haven't made him run away yet, Brian Fry from Spokane, Washington. Brian? You ready for another one? It'll take a seance to get rid of me. Yeah. Yeah. You are DJ Khaled over there. You're just like, another one. Another one. <laughs> we the best. And back for the second year in a row, I am working on chasing her away. Lizzie Haynes. Lizzie, how are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm excited for spooky season and excited to talk about this movie. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Before we talk about this though, we all have kids and- Got to discuss Halloween costume options for our kids. Adorable, horrifying, anything in between. Lizzie, what are your kids going as? So I have three kids. My oldest is going as Sonic the Hedgehog. Nice. So excited. My middle child is, all the parents out here will get this reference, is going as Blippi. Have you ever Mm. heard of Blippi? Are we Blippi fans? I I am not a Blippi fan, no. Yeah. We no, cannot stand Blippi as adults, but my my kids love him. And so I we're putting my middle child in a Blippi outfit, which I think will be very cute. And then my daughter, my two-year-old, we haven't fully decided, but I'm kind of leaning towards Simba because she's a big Lion King gal. Nice. Nice. And then you get to do the Rafiki pose with her. As someone who has a three-year-old who's obsessed with Lion King right now, I love turning on just the beginning of Lion King to listen to my daughter go, <laughs> and she just like, she tries her best, but I'm just like, this is awesome. Baby, yes. baby. That's what we always get whenever little infant Simba comes on. Nice. Brian, what's your daughter going as? After getting in a true to stereotype girl fight with her best friend here in town over who is going to be Elsa and who is going to be Anna for Halloween, oh. my my daughter turns around and she goes, Daddy, I want to be a zombie. And I'm nice. Like, nice. You got it. I said, you got it, little girl. Zombie. Perfect. Perfect. That is awesome. I love it. Well, actually, my first response was zombie Elsa. Right? Yeah. That would be good. I mean, I feel like that's a very logical segue, zombie Elsa. Absolutely. Yeah. You you can mix and match like horrifying Disney princesses. It's it's fair game. It's Halloween. Uh, my daughter decided she she's kind of going as a gender-bent Jack Skellington. So nice. we got her costume. We got these really long skeletal gloves they've got uh, extra long fingers got the makeup kit so she had gone as sally in previous years 
this year she wants to complete that character base. So Jack it is. Awesome. Uh, we got a, a working lightsaber when we went down to Disney World. I figured for sure I'd be able to say, hey, do you want to be a Jedi? Do you want to be Rey? Nope. Jack Skellington. So I will work on that zombie idea. Have you uh, dove into uh, Nightmare Revisited soundtrack? Yes. yes. That's seriously one of my favorite things ever made. So like I, it, two or three tracks from that are on my Halloween party playlist. Yeah, absolutely. There are some great ones. Lizzie, what's the last movie you saw? Last movie I saw was Cocaine Bear. Nice. It was a first watch for me, and Yay. I did not know what to expect. I really – It's I in the title. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I knew that there was a bear that does cocaine, but I didn't realize that it was going to be as like, <laughs> thrilling as it was. Like I thought it – I was actually for some strange reason thinking it was going to be straight up funny. And it because it certainly was funny, but in like a black comedy kind of way, not in a ha ha. Uh, this is kind of slapstick funny. So there were definitely moments where I was very very afraid, and it was fun. It was an awesome watch. Elizabeth Banks is awesome, and I want her to keep doing things. Yes, agreed. Yes. Brian, what's the last movie you saw? I, this is a movie that's been on my bucket list to watch for a really long time, and it kept getting like really, really like marked up in terms of how much I could find it for, and it was never free. And then I found it on YouTube, so I recently uh, watched Michael Collins starring Liam Neeson, and it was everything I hoped it would be. In fact, it may uh, it may show up as a dealer's choice here at some point. Nice. I have not seen that one. Uh, my last one was No One Will Save You. And was it good? It it is. I don't know what Disney is doing. So they released this only on Hulu for streaming. I feel like if it were in theaters right now, it would be doing gangbusters. They completely missed the mark. Uh, It's Brian Duffield. He directed spontaneous uh, in 2020 where kids are like spontaneously exploding, combusting. That's a very unique, fun movie too. But this one, I I feel like it's the best alien invasion movie since Signs. It does not stick the landing, but everything up until the ending, fantastic. I loved it. Do you mean alien invasion is like a horror-tinged one? or Yes. Okay. I was like, because yeah. Rival. <laughs> yeah, and Sputnik's pretty good too. But this one, this one was up there and designed and everything else. It, it had some unique twists. There's... The main character has almost zero dialogue. Nice. I'm 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 really looking forward to Totally Killer. Totally I don't know that one. Oh dude, it's it's basically the premise is girl uh, is a daughter of a final girl and she's grown up listening to her mom her whole life and then somehow she does a hot tub time machine back to when her mother was a kid and then she's a part of it. Oh, there there is a movie like that. It's it's actually called Final Girls. Uh, I think this is just called. I think this is called Totally Killer. Hmm. Uh, But yeah, I'm super excited for it. It's uh, it literally follows loosely the comedic premise of Hot Tub Time Machine, um, but with the horror genre as opposed to the. When does it come out? October sixth. Nice. Okay. It looks like it. It might be on Prime. Okay. I so. I was sold 
I mean, you had me at hot tub time machine slasher. So, oh, I know, I, right? And and uh, I'll, I'll I'll be honest with you all on this. This was a surprise to me. Uh, my wife brought this to my attention, nice. so I was like, "Look what you found! Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> this is great. Look what look at you." We'll tell her, "Well done." I'm looking forward to. Oh, that. I'll do it, Brian. You want to tell us? This is my dealer's choice. You want to tell me, tell our listeners what I forced on you guys today? Uh, yeah, we are going to do 2009's The House of the Devil. Um, nice. it, <laughs> uh, it was uh, budgeted at $900,000, so just under a million dollars, which makes a lot of sense given that this is the first time I'm reading that. Uh, <laughs> amount, amount grossed was $101,200. Uh, it didn't really place anywhere in the box office, so it doesn't have a in front of or behind. The number one movie that year was Avatar. IMDb rating is 6.3. In Rotten Tomatoes, the critics said 85. The audience said 63. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so this was a uh, Birmingham Sidewalk Moving Picture Festival Award winner for Best Feature Film. A screen yeah, a Screamfest Horror Film Festival Award for Best Actress and Best Musical Score. Fangoria Chainsaw Award uh, nominee, Best Actor and Best Musical Score. Independent Spirit Awards nominee for Best, or excuse me, Producers Award. Saturn Award nominee for Best DVD Release. So right. there's, some, there's, there's some gems in there. Yeah, I, it gets a little bit of recognition, and it is starring its just. Jocelyn Donahue, Tom Noonan, Mary Warrenoff, and Greta Gerwig. So this is a this is an interesting under the radar film. This is what I try and bring to this podcast. And uh, Russell has ceased being annoyed with me. He gave me a bit longer leash after Leslie Vernon. He's like, ah, that one went well. I'll, I'll allow you to do another one of these. So I'll bring it up to you guys. Lizzie, we'll start with you. Had you seen House of the Devil? I'd never even heard of it before. And this was under my radar for sure. I think 2009, I mean, I would have just – I would have been 21. So I um, really flew under the radar for me. And I – as I was telling you guys earlier, I tend to – to as much as I love scary movies, I keep a boundary usually with satanic movies. Just as a Christian, I feel like I'm inviting in evil and I just – I get very like really, really bad nightmares when I watch movies about like possession and anything like that. And so I was – Chad, I was very nervous about this <laughs> movie, like really, really afraid. I watched the trailer and it was giving – House of a Thousand Corpses for me just from the trailer, like thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm about to watch like so much human suffering and it's just going to be so bad. Um, I have to admit that I really, really liked this movie like a lot, like way more than I actually thought I was. It is nothing like House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> um, and, you know, without giving too much away, I just – I think it really was able to balance being scary and – also strangely lighthearted all at the same time. Like I just think it did a really great job. Excellent. Uh, as a side note, Brian and I actually saw House of a Thousand Corpses together. And oh it, was one, it was one of those, the end credits rolled. 
And we both had a thousand yard stares over what we had just witnessed. And I'll never forget what Brian told me. He goes, I need to go to church, man. (laughs) And it was like, I swear it was like one o'clock in the morning. I was like, I need to go to church now. Like, right. (laughs) It was really, that movie disturbed me. Uh, I mean, I was, I've only seen it once and I was very unwell afterwards. It was really, really bad. I don't think I'll ever, there's some movies like that I, one time is enough and I will just never revisit it. And that is certainly one of them. There's yes. no need to. There's really yeah. no need to ever watch nope. a movie again. Yeah. No, that's not my genre either. I try not to subject people to that. Uh, Brian, I I try and give you new movies, things that you haven't heard of. Had you heard of House of the Devil? Had you seen it before? Uh, no and no. Um, it was a very interesting watch. And I'm going to get into this with some of my superlatives and later on in the, the discussion of this. I've never had a movie i enjoyed have so or at least felt like it had so little content to it like fair really out of like three named people who had a grand total of 10 lines like there's just it's a very anemic film like that like what i said when i said it was just under a million dollars a little surprised like i don't know if that was all house rental or what or maybe it just all went to jocelyn but this is a very, very sparse film. And I was trying to do superlatives and I'm just like, I, I, I guess this, like there's just not a lot to it, but it does a lot with not much. Um, on what you guys were talking about, satanic movies, I would agree that I'm not as into that as a hardcore horror genre, but I absolutely love it in the suspense world. So, um, like Bill Pullman did a mini series called revelations that I absolutely loved. Uh, Heath Ledger and the order was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. so when you give me this like history and theology suspense movie, I'm all about it. If you give me something where it's like ritual sacrifice, we start tone a line. Like, uh, what was the, the one that happens in like South America? I don't know. Anyway, uh, you can do it right. Obviously the exorcist, uh, stuff like that. You can do it right. Um, I watched the Pope's exorcist recently. Enjoyed that one. Yes. So you can have that genre and it's fine and it's watchable and it's even enjoyable, but then you get to a point where I agree with Lizzie. You're just kind of like, this shouldn't have been made. Right. This, this, this yeah. wasn't necessary. You I, step into the hostile territory. I am unclean. yeah so anyway yeah yeah so this was my dealer's choice and i had seen it before in fact uh before this podcast i watched it five times lizzie's used the word and i'm just gonna steal this terminology this is cozy horror for me this is the type of thing that i will throw on and it shouldn't nothing about this movie says it should work i hate atmospheric horror area stare is my nemesis in horror like the witch i know a ton of you out there like it the witch bored me to absolute tears i couldn't stand it and i yes i would like to live deliciously but i would like to do that a whole lot earlier than an hour and 15 minutes into the movie but this movie it just it grabbed me from the very beginning 
And I think it's in large part due to the the two lead actresses and their dynamic. I really love them. Tom Newman, Tom Noonan is a creepy old man, and his cadence is mesmerizing. Like I could see myself sticking around, even though he is giving all the warning signs of get out. <laughs> just get yeah. out. So yeah, this this is something that I can just throw on and enjoy. However, my wife cannot. She was playing a game on the Switch, and casually we had this on in the background. I'm watching it, and she looks up from time to time, and the the big reveal scene. She just got sick. She said, "I I have to leave the room. I'm out." So she got sick even without all the context. And to Brian's point. Honestly, not a whole, you could look down for about 15 minutes and you may not miss a ton other than there, there's a ton of things in the background that you can pick up on rewatches. This is an infinitely rewatchable movie and it becomes more and more sinister and more interesting as you rewatch it. That being said, not going to spoil much more until after this break when Lizzie is going to break down this plot. If you haven't checked out House of the Devil, as many people clearly did not, Due to its uh, box office revenue, please check out this movie and join us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. Last chance on spoilers for House of the Devil. Lizzie, tell us what this movie's about. Samantha Hughes is a sweet, well-rounded young college student who is eagerly looking for a new apartment to create space and distance from her roommate who is having a different suitor every night. Only problem is that she doesn't have enough cash for first month's rent. As, quote, luck would have it, she sees a babysitting ad and applies. At first, the gentleman seeking a sitter, Mr. Ullman, stands her up, but later rounds back to Samantha more desperate than ever for a sitter. Samantha brings along her friend Megan, a fast-talking, streetwise young woman with a good head on her shoulders, as her ride and asks her to tag along. They arrive at the house to find that the sitting job is actually for Mr. Ullman's ailing mother, Samantha is resistant, but her desire for cash is outweighed by her instincts, and she agrees. Megan, however, bails. She can tell that there's more than meets the eye and smells trouble. Unfortunately, Megan was right, but was not able to escape alive as she is shot on sight. Samantha's night starts out easy enough, but after eating a soured pizza, she quickly discovers that this house and the people in it are the makings of evil. After she's knocked out, she's awakened and bound, tied on top of a sacrificial altar, and is forced to drink blood out of a decaying skull. 
Panicked and thinking she's about to be killed, she manages to escape, running out of the door, but she's followed by Mr. Allman, who informs her that it's too late and the ceremony is complete. Samantha, hopeless, shoots herself. We then are followed to the hospital where we learn that she has survived as well as the newly implanted baby inside of her. Nice. Nice. Very sinister. So <laughs> Brian's raising his <laughs> hand immediately. He's right, like, I so need right now. <laughs> I, I, I know what the movie implies, but I want to throw a curveball at it. Her and her roommate are at a pizzeria earlier in the movie where the friend takes a bite of pizza and says, oh, this pizza tastes nasty. Immediately, I'm like, you're pregnant. And then later, she takes a bite of pizza. So I just want to postulate that although we are led to believe that she is the virgin sacrifice, that perhaps is not the case. And given the uh, two main antagonists, uh, antagonists uh, piece where they're like looking out the window and saying, why won't you hear me? Like they've clearly tried this before and it doesn't work. So maybe just maybe that is not the antichrist in the belly. Oh no, that is pure wishful thinking. You don't get the, the black spidery, uh, shoot out veins that you see on her stomach without that. Well, they knocked her out with something. Who knows what kind of hallucinogens could have been going on there. It's very fair. Yeah. Not to mention she was, she was psyching herself out the entire movie. It's Rosemary's baby. I mean, he's going to have his father's eyes. Why, why add the whole, this pizza doesn't taste right part in the beginning. Like that part doesn't fit at all. And then you go in later and she, she has the same foreshadowing. Don't eat the pizza. Don't eat the pizza. Mm. It does. She actually has a conversation about germaphobe and things like that with Sam. And that's setting us up for later. Of, and it helps bail Sam out because when she tastes, takes a bite of the pizza, she just throws it away. She wouldn't have woken up for the sacrifice if she hadn't thrown away that pizza. So mm. she takes just okay. a little bit of drug. Yeah. Okay. I, Russell had a, a couple of these questions too. He He's actually really sad to miss out on this. Lizzie, we spoke offline and you said you'd done babysitting before. Yes. And so I I desperately need your perspective here. So <laughs> you- he, de- he desperately needs a babysitter, Lizzie. That is also anything. true. That is, that is very <laughs> true. I will not pay this type of money, but you are desperate for money. You get to the house and you're told it's a wildly different job, but they say it's going to be kind of easy. And just for context, $400 in 1983 is $1,200 in inflation today. That's a ton of money. Are you staying? No, absolutely not. Like I am the Megan in this situation and I have been the Megan. Like I say that as if like I have literally – Ben the Megan. Have you all um I'm quick little segue, but I don't know if either of you watch Stranger Things, but mm-hmm. Nancy in the first season, her friend, I forget her name now. I feel very sad about that. But in her her very good friend, the one that gets like pulled into the upside down, 
she's like, you know, she lures her in, Nancy does, to go have a hookup with Steve. And her friend's just like, no, 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 like, don't do this. This isn't right. Like, we shouldn't be doing this. I have literally been that friend before that is like, no, 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 we shouldn't be here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, I write it on my tombstone. I don't want the smoke. If I smell trouble, I'm leaving. Like, it is in there, I won't risk it. And I live always been like that. I, so I am I, I am leaving. I will do – I would figure it out. Now, I say that as somebody who is relatively privileged in the fact that I – I mean, I, I've struggled financially, but I've never been in a situation where I needed fast cash like that and so – and had nowhere to turn. So I – can't 100% say what I would do if I was in a situation like that where I needed money immediately, but well, let's be honest, she doesn't need it that bad either. She doesn't need it that bad. That would be my thing. I'd be like, I mean, my roommate's not that bad. Like, I'd be that is me. I'd be like, my roommate's like fine. Like, so she like is like a little overly friendly. Like, it's like it's okay. Like, I will just say, keep saving my money, biding my time, and it's I, not I, worth I, sacrifice. No, mm, I'm all about not the worth game. ritual sacrifice. So I I'm all about the long game. So for me, I path of least resistance. This is not safe. I'm leaving 100. percent And Brian, you were shaking your head no as well. You you have always been the get out of the house type guy. Now, oh my god, this girl is so stupid. I I just the whole time I'm just like you're pretty, but stop it. Like everything <laughs> you're doing is wrong. So. She she irritates me as a final girl because she's apprehensive about doing it. She shows up anyway. While she's there, she almost makes the right decision and leaves. Money persuades her otherwise. That's all fine. If I were her in this scenario, I would not leave the initial room. Like, yeah. just be like I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to bother anything. If I move around, if I pick up the phone, whatever, that might wake up the grandma that I don't want to even look at. What does she proceed to do? Make more noise than a marching band could in the house. Like <laughs> slamming the phone, making phone calls, calling pizza, uh, which leads to the doorbell ringing. She uh, she puts her head you know, headphones on, starts dance, you know, doing a Ferris Bueller's Day Off up and what mm. are you doing? Let's see what's in this closet. Let's see what's downstairs. Are you nuts? You've dude, your spider sense is already tingling, saying something's not right here. I know what I should do. The opposite of anyone who's ever had their spider sense tingle about a creepy old home. I'm gonna go exploring. Not only am I going to go exploring, I'm going to do it with my headphones on and I'm going to knock crap over. I mean, like, are you mm -hmm. just the, even if this was a normal babysitting opportunity, everything she did is completely out of character for who she was setting herself up to be in the first place. All of her reserve, all of her, her, maybe I shouldn't be here. All of her, everything will be fine. As long as I just, you know, I shouldn't have to do anything. I can just keep it on the DL. No, all that went out the window. If you told me she had a cursed Walkman, 
and that was the secondary plot of this, I'd be like, yep, that's that that explains everything because she lost her mind in that house. She loves her Walkman. I will say, uh, based on my own experience, anytime that we have babysitters come over for our kids, I fully expect my house to get rummaged through, like 100%. Because really? speaking from my – yes, 100%. Now, not like – not like my own personal closet, my personal belongings, like that's possible, but I, but at least like you're going to be going into my cabinets and going into my drawers and eating, eating from my, like my silverware, going, getting, raiding my pantry and my fridge. Okay. Like that's just like 100% happening. That's exactly what I did. She's when looking I was at family like, photos and crap out of a garbage bag in the bottom of the upstairs closet. But those are murdered, murdered family and relevant. I, 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 no, I understand that, that they needed that to further the plot, but I'm just saying no one does that, especially mm-hmm. not this person who is being positioned as the, I'm the responsible, you know, part of this duo, like the what roommate hundred percent. Like if they had allowed her to stay and the roommate was the one rummaging through stuff and that's what really caught on. Cool. But she's like Mrs. Responsible and then all of a sudden, in a complete antithesis of Star-Lord, her Walkman causes her to do mischief and mayhem, leading to a seance. Like, it's just, it was nuts. Like, I, I was like, I was sitting there watching it, and I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, why, why would you do that? Don't go upstairs. You don't even have somebody, you don't have someone chasing you yet. Why are you going upstairs? Speaking of which, after she has someone chasing him, goes upstairs. I'm like, Dip. that's the formula, right? Yes. I'm wearing the ghost Why? face shirt. That's the this, this, it could have done better. It just could have done better. They had to have the classic 80s montage of dancing with a Walkman. But I, I, will, I will point out, whether you are Samantha or you are Megan in this scenario, your fate is the same because they had a plan because the previous sitter proved unreliable. And I kind of wonder what happened to her, but maybe she escaped and she just drove off and they said, "Uh uh-uh, we've got the solar eclipse happening. We are making sure if she tries to bail, she is getting stopped at that graveyard and back to the house she goes. No, I I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It, it, they, they, They found out that the previous babysitter... Uh, wasn't a virgin. Could be, could be, but they, they said this only works with the eclipse. So it's not like they could have had somebody there and been like, uh Oh, uh Oh, uh Oh, we need somebody else. You know, like there was enough time for her to drive out to the country. So I think he interviewed someone and said, Oh, this, this, this person's clearly not what we're looking for. If you know what I mean. And now we're in a pinch because we got to find someone Strat for cash college girl that also happens to be uh, virtuous. See, the virgin thing wasn't a requirement. It was just that she showed up because they even address, they say, I bet you're popular with the boys. Yes, Miss, I was just going to say Miss. I, see, I, 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 no, but see, I think she was fishing. I think that like, hi, well, I guess so. Like, that's the right answer. That means I've never had a boyfriend. No one pays attention to me. It's my hooker roommate that gets all that. Uh, I'm the oh one in the clean room. Uh, I think it was just the, the truth that the other girl bailed when they said, Hey, the job was going to be for this night and you're going to, you're going to be babysitting my mom. 
And she said, nope, I'm out. And so they had to make sure she could not leave. And Brian knew me in high school. I'm going to be the guy that stays. That's too much money. I would dismiss every warning flag. I was the guy for $5 that they would mix up a little cocktail of every condiment they could find, hot sauce and everything, and be like, Chad, five bucks, drink this. Chad, here's $2. Will you snort a pixie stick? I was like, ha, you you fools. I would have done this for one. Which, by the way, it's not worth your internal soul. Right. Uh, No, 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 I'm sorry. Like, look, spider sense. Yes. It's relevant. It it is certainly relevant, but it can be overridden for $1,200 or probably a cheaper threshold for me. I, did you appreciate, though, it sounds like you both are on Team Megan here. I, I really did appreciate having this character in Sam's life that is pointing all these things out. Of They lied to you. You need to get out. And she's saying all these logical steps of, this is a problem and you need to leave. And having that voice out there that Sam willingly ignores, which is part of the trope, like, there have to be warning signs that Sam ignores, and there's there's a litany of them. But Megan's voice is probably the loudest. So did you like Megan as this voice of reason? Yes. I loved her. She was my favorite character by far because she was able to – you know, she's, she's fun and she was sassy. You know, you could definitely tell from their – their encounter at the at the diner, you know, that she's like, what would just take down all of the posters? That way, like, they have to call you back. You know, she's witty and fun. Yes. But she's a really good friend. And even Samantha acknowledges that. She's like, you are being such a good friend right now. And I think sometimes kindness, I, um, our, this was told to us the other day at church. It's like kindness is clearness. It's like sometimes having those tar- hard conversations of like you are wrong right now. Like even when it's hard, is uh, it's not always easy to have those kinds of conversations where you just call out your friends and be like, this is not a good idea. You are going to fall flat on your face. This is not going to work out for you right now. And I I think Greta Gerwig did a great job. Hey, man, Neville won the House Cup based on that. Right. That's right. You both mentioned, okay, this is a satanic movie. Did you like having that opening where it talks about the satanic panic in the 80s? Did you like kind of having a background of this is what I'm in store for? Or would you have appreciated not having that little clip and just have the little 80s, 70s intro and moving on and slowly figuring out what's going to happen. I think – I don't think it was entirely necessary to have the opener. I think maybe if there was some kind of callback to show how in her everyday life that was something that people were cautious of, I think it would have made a little bit more sense. Um, you know, she was saying earlier like the landlady, you know, she's like, you know, somebody else came by. She looked like trouble, but – I don't want anything like that. Maybe if there was some kind of mention of the satanic panic, that would have made a little bit more sense. But I think other uh, otherwise, it, I don't really think it was too necessary. I mean, the title of the movie is pretty clear. So I think you don't really need the, the call out in the beginning. That's fair. Brian? Uh, there was an episode of X-Files um, called uh, Die Hand, Die Verlicht. 
that was sort of on par with what this was putting out. And, and I think that's kind of the vibe I was getting from this from, from square one. Um, I don't, I, I look, I'm 50, 50. You can, you can warn me that that's where this is going or you can't or don't. And I get to, you know, figure it out for myself. Um, this is such a less is more movie anyway, that, having one extravagance to let you know what you're in for at the beginning really doesn't harm it. So yeah, I, 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 you could have gone extremely anemic and removed it and cool, you know, let the atmosphere do, do what you do. But um, I don't think, I don't think that having it or not having it elevates. And you do get kind of thrown for a loop when poor Megan gets her head blown off. Oh my gosh, yes. You're thinking, okay, randomly mentioned Satanist, but is this going to turn into a home invasion movie? Because we just had someone just coldly, wait, you're not the babysitter? Bam! And just, that is a that is a big jump. That is unexpected. 100%. You both mentioned this is kind of a slow burn of a movie. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. We do get to spend some time with the friends until Megan's unexpectedly killed at about the halfway mark, and then it becomes this house exploration. Now, Lizzie has said she's exploring a little bit. She's she's going through some cabinets. She's going, maybe not personal effects, but she's doing some exploring. Brian is on the couch watching TV. Despite every spidey sense instinct do you like the tension that's built as she's slowly exploring this house as she's playing heart and soul on the piano as we see the feet shuffling behind the door do you like that aspect of this movie because it's a different pace than what we get for the first 45 minutes i do i actually think that that whole chunk of time between when like after Megan dies and before she like eats the pizza and then the climax kind of begins. I think that's probably my favorite chunk of the movie because you know that – you know in some way, shape, or form. You don't necessarily know what or how, but you know that the other shoe is going to drop at some point and they are just letting it build. Like that whole scene with her dancing to one thing leads to another – and rummaging through her cabinets. And I will say to that, like I, Brian, like you're totally right that like that is a, like it's incongruous with like her actual personality in the beginning. However, it's like, it is like such a classic babysitter scene of like what people typically do. So I think they're trying to just like drive the point home of saying somehow she's managed to get comfortable. And I I love that scene because it's all just – it's a slow burn and then once you, once you get there, it's like the tension has been built and now we're ready for – like we've reached the hit top of the roller coaster and now we're going down. And it uh, it was really fun for me. I've never been that comfortable that the, where she gets to with the listening to music and dancing up and down the staircase and whatever – I've never gotten that comfortable in a good friend's house. I would never have done that at your house, Chad. Zero percent chance. Like everybody's asleep. I'm just like, uh, like I'm sorry. It's just not happening. Brett, Russell, Flack. I, it, does, it doesn't matter whose house it is. Maybe Lindsay's 
for completely different reasons. But right. like that's just not happening in, in, in my best friend's homes. Never happening. So you can't give me creepy home comfortable enough. Now, you can tell me that different personalities deal with things different ways. But I feel like her heavily, well, maybe not heavily, but moderately introverted personality. I just, I, I, I think I would buy more that the house had some effect on her. They had some effect on her, that there was some sort of other supernatural thing at work that made her act that way. But it took me out of the movie having her act so different than her initial setup. Her character setup was not that at all. And it, it was it everything that happened from them leaving to her tied to a floor was in desperate need of Adderall. Like it was so all over the place. Phone, dancing, piano, TV, phone, pizza, phone, closet. I mean, it's just, it was, it. It, it just, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And, and look, they, the one thing that they did a good job on is keeping consistent, creepy, brooding music constantly mounting and then never giving you relief. Like you kept expecting something weird to happen to break you away from the monotony of her endless roamings, but it didn't do it. It it kept denying you that last piece until it was like, bam. Yes. 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 The, absolute bananas last 15 20 minutes yeah you're right like it's easy to see how this movie won awards for sound it's such a low budget but they do such a great job with all the sound with all the lighting and i i like the house exploration because it adds to the tension even for things that she shouldn't be doing she finds the family's photo and it's not the almonds and they have that Volvo that they were driving that they even took a point of calling out Volvo when they get to the house. It's that same family's car. And so that's when she gets the knife. It's like, I don't know what's wrong, but something is very, very wrong. Yeah. And uh, she calls the theater where they're supposed to be. And that's not a real number. She's just getting a dial tone. So all of that, I, I enjoy, even if, to your point, it was irresponsible. I don't, she, she was nervous. So I'm going to dismiss all of these except for the dancing. The dancing is just, we had to get an eighties babysitter scene. I love the dancing because she's probably uncomfortable in being in this house, knowing that it doesn't feel 100% right. So she listens to the music to like, to take your words, to like corral that sanity of like, I'm, I'm a little uneasy, but I'm going to put this music on and it's going to make me feel like I'm back in a comfort zone that I have control over. And then once that like comfort washed over her, then she just, you know, started feeling the beat and she's dancing around. And then she's like, wait, the furs were supposed to be in the basement. And I agree. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that that would be my argument because I'm I would absolutely probably do the exact same thing. Oh no! I don't argue the use of music. I use, I argue <laughs> the actions during the music. 
That's fair. That's fair. But even if I was getting into it, like, all right, I'm uncomfortable here. I need to get into something else. I'm still not dancing up the stairs. To, like, if I know that there is a questionable geriatric person upstairs that that I am doing everything in my world not to have to interact with whatsoever because it's not why I was there hired for in the first place. Not only am I not going up the stairs, but I'm not making any sort of nuisance of myself to have them come to me. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone up the stairs either, but speaking of kind of the homage we have a lot. This is kind of Ty West's thing. As you see the X and Pearl and Maxine, that's the his trilogy. Maxine hasn't come out yet. Uh, this He likes doing homages to eras and genres. And so this is very clearly like late 70s, early 80s. We get it shot in 16 millimeter film. We have the stylized credits with the yellow font and the freeze frame of characters that you don't have going on. The closing credits, it's that classic still image where it's her in the hospital, that final scene, and then the credits roll over. Did you guys feel like we were watching a 70s or 80s movie? Did it feel like Halloween? Absolutely. I actually didn't know that it was made in 2009 until I went back and looked at the IMDb. I just, I really, when I started it, I thought that I was watching a movie made in like 1984, something like that. And it blew my mind when I realized that this was something that came out when I was in my 20s. Yeah, I actually have a a two-part for this. Uh, First off, uh, I was with Lizzie on this. I was like, oh, I mean, like, this is a very sharply shot movie for the 80s. And uh, I'm not, I wasn't uh, familiar with Jocelyn. So I looked her up and they were like, she's 40. And I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) uh, what? She's a vampire. That that took me to movies IMDb page. And I was like, 2009? Oh my God, I've watched the wrong movie. Like... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> Russell's thing does not give you year so I was like yes. I, I'm watching the wrong film I'm not prepared I, I've watched the whole wrong thing and then full circle I was like they did a really good job making this a period movie which I know that's weird calling something from the 80s a period movie but that's exactly what this is given its time frame of, of production so I was like alright I've I've been on a journey now of anxiety and failure. And I've come to the point where I'm like, okay, they did a great job with this. Like this is, this is a very poignantly done film to try to make it be earlier than it was. I think this is one of those things where if you had a TikTok video where you show kids a snippet of something and you had to make them guess when it was, Hmm. they would totally fall for it. hundred percent. One hundred percent agree. I actually I had something similar, but with Greta Gerwig because I recognize her from a couple of different movies she's done. You know, she directed the Barbie movie, and she's um, so when I saw her in the credits, I had assumed, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize she was a child actor. Like I had no <laughs> idea, like she was like a little girl. Like she's like the Kristen Dunst in uh, Vampire of Interview with the Vampire. And then when it cuts to her in the pizza scene, I'm like. 
She looks really good. I mean, how old is she? She's like young. Is she just like one of those like vampire Paul Rudd people that just like has not aged? And then it all I love the Paul clicked Rudd for there. me after IMDBing it. But it was, I mean, they really fooled me. It was it was awesome. Yeah, this is a very stylized movie. They they do the eighties camera shots where they do the up close zooms. They're not using the dollies for the tracking shots. They're actually moving the cam so we see it move sideways. It it's something we don't talk about a whole lot in our horror season, but this is a very well put together, very artful film outside of all the other nasty stuff we're talking about of satanic rituals like this is a well done film and a a fitting tribute for or the era that it's trying to mimic uh, the last thing i want to talk about before we move on to uh, other things we haven't talked about mr omen very much and i know i know you guys have both basically said he is one cane holding red flag 100% yes but did you at least find him a little mesmerizing? He has a soothing voice, but it comes with so many different – like to, to me, having a really soft, velvety voice, it's all about the context of who's behind it, right? Like if you have like a really soft, velvety voice, but – and you're, you know, for all in, intents and purposes, like a, a – docile person like I'm your voice is going to be the thing that I like about you the most like a almost like a Morgan Freeman kind of thing where like you you feel safe and so therefore you just kind of enjoy his voice and it just is a an extra aside that you like about him with Mr. Allman that is just an added thing to his creepiness because everything about him he's so slimy that's the kind of the best way to describe him. Like as – and I don't know if it, if if you all kind of feel this way, but to me as a woman, the main reason why I would be completely out is that if a man is asking me to probably do anything for him in that state, but especially something like babysitting where like it's – you know, you're going to be home alone. Like you don't really have any other resources. You're out in the middle of nowhere. It's like the desperation behind his voice and in the way that he operated and spoke to her, that kind of desperation would be all I would need to just be completely out. Like it's just like I'm – I don't feel good about this. Like you – I understand that you are in a bind, but the fact that you are just taking out your wallet and you're like basically begging me to stay – Right after you said you don't have the money to pay for two of you? Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm out. Like, I'm so out. Like, there's just something about um, about the desperation of it, of him, that – and he played it perfectly. And, it, and you know, he's he's friendly to be sure, but he's very slimy and very desperate and very anxious. And all of that to me would just signal like, get out, get out. And he does lunge at Sam briefly. Like he stands up very quickly and lunges at her before settling himself. Yeah. That's probably your, if you hadn't reached your breaking point prior to that, you're not saying 400. 
Absolutely. I mean, no, there's no amount of money at that point. Because to me, like my peace of mind is priceless. So like I am not comfortable and I'm getting out. I think going back to what we talked about earlier is really important here. I like we've never been in a position where we felt like honestly the distance they had to travel to get to this house for a babysitting gig is not worth leaving the naked roommate. Hmm. Well, I completely agree. I mean, I understand that this is, this is a failure to launch for me in the very onset. Like it, like, yes, it's a cute little house that I can rent and I get away from my promiscuous roommate, but like the asks here are huge. Like I, I just I don't I don't get it I don't get it and this is probably from someone who didn't have to be in in that position so I I get that part too but I got to tell you like there's a lot of I mean ballpark date for this movie the country is likely in a gas crisis 1983. I mean, when was uh, when was the first big gas uh, shortage of the eighties? Was that eighty seven? I'm not certain. I'm just I'm I'm just thinking. I'm not just like you're looking for babysitting gigs around your college. Like, why? I don't know. It it right. all of this seems sus to me. Hundred percent. This seems super suspicious. See, I'm a sunk cost fallacy person. Like, I'm in for a penny, I'm in for a pound. So $100, where do you want me to drive? California? That's fine. We're in Maine? Whatever. I, I'm. <laughs> and then it took an hour and a half to get to your place? Well, might as well see this through. All right, this guy won't tell me what he does. You're an educator? No, not exactly. You're an astronomer? No, not exactly. Yes. He never actually says yeah. what he's doing. Like I'm done. Sorry, sir. Yeah. I, I I must leave right now. Nope. I, I I committed 90 minutes of my time to get to your place. I'm here. I, <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, that's I, I would ask I would ask for remuneration for that. I'd be like, yes. Yep. I drove all the way out here. I'm sorry. You all right. Got to go. Well, you guys are surviving longer. I have left, not babysitting gigs, but I remember specifically in high school I went to a New Year's Eve party with a bunch of my friends and it was in like the town over so we had to drive about 45 minutes to get to the party it was in the middle of nowhere and I think I was a junior in high school and like without getting into any of the details like I just it was kind of the same situation where as uh again like as a woman as a young girl in that situation like I think you're trained to like the spidey senses that you said it's like i think there's you're acutely aware of your vulnerability when you're around a bunch of like men that can just clearly overpower you and so you just like i don't know there's something about the hair that goes on the back of your head and i left i literally was like i'm leaving and i had a friend that wanted to stay and guess what i left her because i was like i'm leaving i'm leaving i'm leaving i'm leaving if you don't come with me i'm leaving and um, and she was like, I really, really want to stay. I was like, okay, I will pick you up in the morning. I am leaving. And I went and got Taco Bell and got home, ate my Taco, Taco Bell. Picked Bell was up the next morning. She was choice. just fine. I picked her up the next morning. Everything was just fine. But I did not regret leaving. See, Lizzie's going to live in this movie. I would die. 
but this is this is why I wanted you on the show so badly. I I, I wanted that female perspective, and a couple fun facts about this movie before we move on to other things. This movie is shot in eighteen days, so we have shoestring budget, and at, that's a short filming time. D. Wallace only works for one day. I'm so glad they brought her in. But the house was actually infested with ladybugs. Saw the really? ladybugs make it into the into the shot. So and much less satanic. Right. <laughs> and, and a lot of the crew, because they wanted to save money, they this was filmed in Connecticut. So they are calling up local people in Connecticut and saying, hey, do you want to come out? Do you want to help film our movie? So all the crew is locally sourced. This is claimed to be based on true events, but they won't act. It's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on a true story that actually didn't really happen. Although Texas Chainsaw at least had Ed Gein sort of connected. But yeah, this is this is an early work of Ty, uh, Ty West. So he has The Roost, Trigger Man, House of the Devil, a terrible sequel in Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, that you can see uh, Sean from Hunter, uh, Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World. He's yes. he's in that one. That's a uh, Ryder Strong. And then his latest one have been much bigger hits, X and Pearl. And later, I think this year is Maxine. So those, those are Ty West's work. Uh, anything you guys want to discuss as far as sets or like the house itself or the wardrobe i know russell always likes the 80s feathered hair that's a, that might have been helping throw you off on when the timeline or even the soundtrack yes i just think it, everything was perfectly creepy i think that you know in the beginning of the movie looking around at the house you can i mean they did such a great job of just setting up like the wholesome nature like to to Brian's point in the first little half of the movie. And then the house itself is just so creepy. I mean, even if they were super wholesome, lovely people inside, there's just something about a old Victorian home in the middle of nowhere at night. And it's just creepy. <laughs> so they did well, a great job. Here's the thing on that. Like, I'm, dude, you know, my house was built in 1909. I love old houses. I think it's awesome. It's an ambiance of credibility that hits you with this and you've already had issues now you're going to creepy old house creepy old house is in and of itself a knock but then you also have people that don't seem to really be able to operate it correctly he goes upstairs to find his wife she comes up from the basement like they see lying I, I hear you. I'm just saying they don't seem with it, with their home, because they've already killed people to possess this home. I, I'm just right. saying that if I were trying to achieve Satanist goals, I'm not picking creepy old house. I'm picking house close to campus with multiple floors where I can engage in creepiness. And the comfort level to the people coming to that house is going to be minimal because they're looking at it like, oh, this is 10 blocks away from a police station. You know what I mean? Like there's 
nothing is gained here by going for creepy house in the middle of nowhere outside of the effect that it does for a film. If but I'm it's a whole this, lot easier to kill people in the country and not have them miss than it is to kill someone 10 blocks from a police campus. Well, so they be better kill, you got to be better at killing. Clearly you've done this before. I mean, look at the, the death toll that's in that house. Like, yeah, they've they killed the prior family and sacrificed them for some reason. I don't know, other than the wife getting the hair, which, by the way, hair in the bathtub. It's like, yeah, that's another thing. Well, that's well, that's another point. Like, you know, you're talking about uh, another babysitter quitting on them short notice. That means that they had another babysitter come out that day to stay. What even longer? It was the prior day. Uh, it was the prior day for an interview. But yeah. Who drives that for an interview for one babysitting night? Like that's a hundred dollars in nineteen eighty three. I that's he only brings up more more money once she gets out there because he doesn't want her to leave. I'm just saying that the 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 interaction of we had someone else come out out here and they weren't fit for it had to be a vetting process for other reasons because they weren't to their night yet. Like, unless they were going to say, we need you to stay with her for two days. Like that. No, I, I think it was just come back and care for the elderly person. And I don't even know that it was a vetting so much as I, I genuinely think when they, and he admits when we told her, Hey, it's a, you would be taking care of mother. She leaves. Yeah. And so that's why he's just saying unreliable. There may have been other things. They may have killed her. I don't know. That's, that's an interesting thing, but. Yeah, Brian's Brian's serial killing ways will be different than my serial killing ways. I'm I'm going I'm going out in the country in my private killing lair and luring people very far away from help because the police would take 30, 45 minutes to get there, where you are trying to kill in plain sight. This is a very different well, I podcast. certainly wouldn't suck at it as bad as these guys do. Like you got a well, girl you know tied to a floor and they kill. She kills all of you. She kills this all is... of you. Tied to the floor, she kills all of you. Listen, they're no. from the desert. They don't have the Boy Scouts in the desert. They're t- <laughs> so yes, no one knew no one learned how to tie knots. It's the son's fault. Which that was a nice touch when she walks into the son's room and it's clearly decorated for a small child, but they know that the son's grown. You see like the Cowboys uh, scenes in the background and like sports trophies. And that she recalls, oh yeah, son's all grown. But you could kind of dismiss that of, yeah, they just never changed his room. But she's yeah. dismissing a lot. All right. I think it's about time that we start awarding this movie. You guys ready? Yes, I let's am. do it. All right. Let's hand out some superlatives. Lizzie, who is your MVP of House of the Devil? You know, I went with Ty West. I think that he did such a great job. I think we've already touched on it, but just really making this film truly feel like it's not even just a period piece, but just really making it feel like it was truly made and shot in the 80s. And I also just think that the movie itself just really works for me. Aaron and I talked about this offline where I think – the scariest movies to me are the ones where if you're looking at a movie almost like a painting 
where you paint just enough that you can tell what it's supposed to look like, but then also leave some blank pieces that are supposed to be filled with your imagination. I think that that makes for the scariest types of movies. And I think that the lack, like like Brian was saying, like kind of like the lack of just like meat in this movie, I think really served that purpose. And I, I give Ty credit for that. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. Brian, who'd you choose for your MVP? I did the same thing. I don't think this movie actually has legs without the the director kind of going for what he was going for. Uh, there are a lot of conflicting things that happen in this movie that, that kind of irk me in terms of making it a coherent film. However, having the the cohesive final product in front of me, like I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah. I, I wanted to pick Ty West as well, but I've picked a director the last couple of times. And so I'm just going to switch it up, but I do think he's the right answer. So I'm going with Tom Noonan as Mr. Ullman. I just, I think he's so fantastically unsettling and I just can't get over. He has this very unique cadence and it's just mesmerizing to me. And he, he's just disarming in a way that he shouldn't be because he's he's a very alarming character. So for me, it's Tom did a great job. Nice. Best Supporting Actor or Actress Lizzie. I, I picked Jocelyn for this one, Samantha. I think that – I really think that she did a great job. She – I don't think that there needed to be much to her. I think, again, like I've said before, I think that the purpose of this movie was to kind of leave a lot to the imagination. So I think she she's kind of like that blank slate character, if you will, almost a little bit. Enough so that you're supposed to kind of insert yourself as, as the character. And I think she's likable. She was sweet, but she was also just toned down enough that you could really put yourself in her shoes. And she did great. Yeah, they didn't give her anything extra to make her dislikable or anything like that. They they give you just enough to go off of, I agree. Brian? I think part of the reason that I completely agree with that take and the reason I have Jocelyn also as my supporting is all of the weird kind of side parts to her character that don't really add up necessarily as much is to make her relatable to the audience in a variety of different ways, not as a cohesive character herself, but also to say, this could be you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they did what they did. Interesting. Interesting. I thought, I thought for sure this would be a sweep for Greta Gerwig. I, I love Megan. I think she steals every single scene she's in. And her death was completely necessary for this film. But you know what? I feel that absence for the rest of the film. I miss that dialogue. I miss that banter. I miss having a character in there to tell us this is a bad idea. So Greta is my pick. Nice. Lizzie, who's your hidden gem? I almost picked Greta for my best supporting, but I didn't because I wanted to have her as my hidden gem because I'm a fan of... Greta Gerwig's, and especially in the year of the Barbie movie, that's what all the 
Gen Zers are saying. That's like their rebuttal. Anytime that anything happens that they don't like, they're like, wait, you did this in the year of the Barbie movie? And so she's having a big year and I'm excited for her. And so it was fun. She, I've only seen her in No Strings Attached. That's like the only other movie I've ever seen her in with um, uh, Natalie Portman. And I um, I thought she was like absolutely adorable in that movie. So it was fun to watch her and – I totally agree with you, Chad. I think she was like just one of the best parts about this movie. Yeah, I I forgot that was her and No Strings Attached. That was the weird year of Friends with Benefits and No Strings yes. Attached, and I constantly confuse which one was which. Yep. Brian, who's your hidden gem? I think that it's got to be um, uh, Tim or Tom. He does a credit to every movie he's in in a variety of different ways in a way that if you see him unshaven he fits this bill if he shaves completely different character and younger in the extreme so it's one of those things where I, i appreciate an actor that can transform in a variety of different ways yeah, that's an excellent pick because he is he's a very different character in this movie than how he shows up in other movies. For me, I picked Elliot Rocket, which is a fantastic last name, by the way, but he's our cinematographer. And I just think his camera work, he does this great job capturing the feel of the late 70s, early 80s, how he's doing his close-ups, how he's doing the tilts. Uh, There's a fantastic tilt that he does after Megan's death where you tilt down with the body and then the cigarettes retrieved Mm -hmm. and it's tilted back up to the sun smoking the cigarette. There's a lot of touches like that that really put me in that era. So I, I appreciated his work recast. Who are you recasting Lizzie? So I'm recasting Mrs. Allman. I think that, you know, we touched on, how Mr. Allman is just very unsettling. And I feel like I didn't get that same quality from Mrs. Allman. I think that that's clearly what Ty was going for. I just don't think it landed for me as well. It felt a little bit too – and I'm putting the blame on the actress. I just don't think that she really did it for me. So I'm replacing her with Angelica Houston. I think that – you know, she was the she was the grand high witch, and yes. uh, and I think she did such a great job in that role of kind of having like her nose a little bit in the air, while also just being like you know super evil and creepy. And I think that that could have been used in Mrs. Ullman's role, and she probably would have really rocked a fur. That is a huge upgrade. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Probably blows out our budget, but yeah, yes. I, am, <laughs> I am never against casting Angelica Houston for anything. Brand, who are you recasting? This is going to be my the first of my NAs for this movie. Like, no one's in this long enough to recast them outside hmm. of the main okay. character. Like, I, I, or or Greta. Like, which I, I feel like if you take the two of them and and they're symbiotic relationship with one another and what they do for this film. I, I feel like they accomplished that task. I don't feel like anybody's in this long enough to recast them. Like it, it, it's one of those films that I'm like, every time I went through 
our all of our superlatives, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's the first time where I didn't feel like really strongly about anything. Like, okay, well that was a thing. So yeah, I don't know. I've got a lot of I, I got a lot of NAs for this. I'm gonna go into each one. Okay. I kind of felt like the son in the family was probably the weakest actor, especially his, ah, my eye. But I'm actually going after a really, really bit part. So Lena Dunham is the 911 operator. What? Yes. And I don't want her in this movie for for reasons I'm not going to get into. But I am recasting her with uh, Yvette Nicole Brown from Community. Uh, Yvette can have this she can have a sweet and caring tone for a 911 operator but she can also quickly turn on the well this is for emergencies don't call if you don't have an emergency and she can quickly turn on this chastising voice so i really want her instead of lena dedham that's really funny best shot in this movie lizzie so i had put right when she when Samantha discovers the photo and that the furs are upstairs rather than downstairs and like she starts to now realize that like things are not right in this house. She grabs a knife and you have this like very classic scene where she's walking very slowly and quietly towards the door and as they're doing it, the camera shot is perfectly parallel with the knife. So you have – Samantha's silhouette and then the knife's silhouette is almost acting like the like a door like you're almost like looking through a door keyhole if you will with that knife silhouette there and I feel like that feels like such a classic 80s shot and I think it just it was perfect for me it gave me all of the 1980s feels that is a fantastic choice Brian what was yours I, I, I want to ask you a question about the knife there for a second, though. One of the things that was one of those aparts from this movie where I was very questioning. So she's danced around the house. She snooped through some things. She hears some noises. She grabs a knife. Uh, she's still babysitting a geriatric. So there's one point where she's just at the bottom of the steps wielding a butcher knife as a babysitter. Mm-hmm as a an adult elderly person sitter what if the elder elderly woman was in fact an elderly woman and she comes up and she's like i dropped my oh my goodness why do you have a knife like it just you've already done all of these things apart from your job of watching after an elderly woman now you're going to double down with wielding a butcher knife against said, oh, it just, I either, either you're down for the job or not. Like, you know what I mean? At like, that point, though, she knows like, this is like the situation's like, not what it seems like. I think right? at that point she knows that it's something sinister is going on. And so I don't think that she's necessarily worried about, being professional anymore. Right. I think it's but, so but not enough to not hide it behind her back. I think she's concerned for her very life at that point because she discovers, okay, family that's supposed to live here doesn't. The rooms don't match. Items aren't where they said they were. 
the family is driving the car of this other family. So now it's become, she doesn't know if the mother is actually there or not, but she is probably reacting of what is going to happen to me? Is there a woman here, an old geriatric woman, or maybe it's a man that's in this house. Maybe at the point of time I'm talking about, she then washes the knife to cut her pizza with. I don't think she's in, I, I don't think she feels she's in that much danger yet. I guess is my point. Like I think she, she calms takes, herself down. I, I'm with Chad. I think that she's like, the pizza's here and it's... Everything's you know, okay now? No, 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 no. But I think like, have you ever... I mean, this is obviously hyperbolic for the purpose of the movie. But I think that... I think we all can relate and pull from some kind of personal memory where you've been kind of paranoid and then something that's very normal kind of snaps you back into reality. Like your your pizza's here and you're just like, okay, listen... Like I think, like no, like I'm. I think I'm spiraling. I'm now. I have this new activity, which is eating my pizza, and I'm just going to like calm down and like recalibrate. And I think we're going to be okay. And I think that's kind of where she was in her head. I don't think she necessarily thought that the threat was over. I think she was having this wishful thinking moment. If I just sit here and eat my pizza, then maybe I'll realize that that was all in my head. I agree. I, I guess I've just never experienced a swing where brandishing a knife to save my life transforms into using it to cut my pizza and then everything's never fine. babysat. You never made I, I feel like I've had those mood swings uh, monthly. <laughs> but, but Brian, what's your what's your best shot? Me too. <laughs> uh, my best shot is the ending credits. I love how long they leave you with you're both okay. Yes. Like they leave you with that for a good long time. Let it sink in. Yep. Yes. It, it, just the pat, the, yeah. Yes. The both of you. I had this conversation with Russell where he interpreted that as her being possessed. And I said, Oh, Oh, you naive little thing. This, this is Rosemary's baby. And That's it's even funny. more, more terrifying because this is the 80s. They wouldn't have had the blood tests and things like that. They wouldn't wouldn't have been able to determine that she was pregnant within four hours or whatever it was. So this is accelerated demon growth within her that they're able to recognize that. So chew on that. I'm also, well. <laughs> I'm also curious about that handgun. How did she screw that up? I... Like she's very clearly shot herself like in the meat of the head. Like it wasn't yep. like a, like an offshoot. So does that mean demon power healing demon, demon power or the eclipse suddenly goes away. So the last power of that, I don't know. Movie magic just to give us that last little twist, which I'll dismiss everything else just to be able to get that kind of wicked ending. Right. For me, there's a great shot of Sam and she, as she's exploring the house and as she's slowly turning on lights, she comes to the front of the house and there are these four huge windows and she is right in the middle of it. And you get the shot of her standing at the window and it pans out and we get the full shot of the house and below is dark, but her windows are completely lit up. And I just thought it was a really nice shot. And it's also a good framing of she's pretty alone out here. 
like there's this little light in the darkness, but that's that's all we've got. So I I like that feeling of yeah, you've got nowhere to run, you got nowhere to go. Best scene, Lizzie. Brian, you're not going to like this, but my favorite scene is when she's dancing around. Nice. <laughs> I love it so much. And you know, it's not a bad scene. I'm just saying it's it's out of <laughs> But it's my it's my favorite scene because first first of all that song is a bop. Like, yes. you know, do what you say, say. It's so good and she's and I so can relate to when the music hits you just right. Like you just kind of are transported into that moment. And I love that. I love that it was a really sweet, lighthearted moment, especially knowing what we know. Cause at this point, like Megan is gone. Like we know that this house is no good and that something awful is going to happen. And anybody who's ever watched any scary movie knows that when there's this sweet, lighthearted moment, it is just to prepare you for a big blow out jump scare of some shape, way, shape, or form. And so I loved that scene because not only did I just enjoy watching it, but I also loved that I could feel the tension brewing up and it was well done. Excellent. Brian? I loved Megan and the candy dish. <laughs> oh my Where gosh, she that like freaks the first me out part. too. Oh my God, I love Megan and the candy dish. Razor blades, <laughs> Yeah, so scary. It's one that puts a couple in her purse. Like it's just, yes. we're off having this conversation about what the night really is. It's important. Candy. Yes. Candy. Oh, I'll take a couple extra candy. <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting there like, I can't. I was like, I can't wait to find out where the candies come in. Like, <laughs> yes. ah, I loved the candy dish scene. It was great, and absolutely no dialogue in that. And oh, and of and nothing of importance. That right. that's just it. You thought this was going to be a th- or at least I thought it was going to be a thing. Yes, no importance whatsoever. It was literally. It was a scene of absolute frivolity, and it's awesome. I yeah. love it. It made the it even better one. that it doesn't come back around. Like, the first one not tasting right that she spits out, but then she goes back for a different one. She's like, like eh. yeah. Like anybody who goes to their grandparents' house with a candy dish, they're like. Yes, the little strawberry candies that only yeah, come around maybe. to 80-year-olds. Yes. But maybe. <laughs> They're distributed. Once you turn 80, uh, you're given a bowl of these. Candy dish, guys. Candy dish scene. I love it. That is so unexpected. My, I picked a Megan scene too, but I picked the interaction between Megan and the son. The fact that he just comes up out of nowhere and she calls him on it. Like, where did you come from? And he mentions, he tries small talk with her and she's not really having it. He's like, it's cold out here. And she just goes, okay, like, where are you going with any of this? And then we get the ultimate payoff of this isn't the person that he's meant to stop. And he just blows her brains out. That is, it's just so unexpected. And then it finishes with that lovely shot of him picking the cigarette out of her hand and smoking it. So everything about that scene is just magic. Best wardrobe makeup moment. Lizzie. So I went with the Walkman. I don't know if that's technically allowed. Maybe yeah, that's a prop, but because she's wearing it, 
strapped to her belt. It feels like it counts. And I just, it feels like the best throwback. I mean, any, it, I, have, I love it. I mean, I had a Walkman and, you know, you eventually get to graduate to a CD player as time goes by. And I just, I, I loved it. It was like the perfect prop and I so appreciated that they made such amazing use out of it. Yes. As opposed to dancing around with the CD player later on with the anti-skip feature. Yes. That doesn't really work, let's be honest. Yeah. Brian, is this your second NA? Uh, No, it's not. Uh, I seriously went on Amazon after this, and I was looking up leather mittens. (laughs) Like, like, when she's sitting there on the thing, and I'm just like, dude, those look comfy as all get out. I was like, I want some leather mittens. And, yeah. Okay. All right, I'm I'm on board. I like any movie that can then make you go to Amazon and say, I, I, I'm inspired. For me, I I think the touch that helps me is Mr. Allman's cane, because he is definitely creepy, but I feel like the cane is a little bit disarming. And you can look at the cane and say, all right, he's weird, he's eccentric, but he's not harmful, because no one with a cane is ever harmful right and so i i think that lends to some credibility of sam dismissing some of this oddball behavior and speech for me mm-hmm. agreed uh change one thing lizzie what are you changing in this movie this was really hard because i truth be told don't actually think that i would change anything but for the sake of the game i think that you know you hear all kinds of whispers in the beginning when Samantha is and and Megan, like kind of almost during the candy dish scene where she where Mr. Ullman goes upstairs and he's whispering with uh, with seemingly his mom and they try like I think I've got it handled. I've got it handled. I've got it figured out. And you definitely are catching up on some of the dynamics in their family and I, I guess if I had to change one thing, I guess having a little bit more of that would have been interesting. You know, I think the big reason for me why I enjoy like the Texas Chainsaw franchise, you know, I'm not a fan of like the the gore of the actual like chainsaw things, but they're like the demented family is always like a really interesting piece. It's the only saving grace of those Rob Zombie movies that kind of were born out of House of a Thousand Corpses, like the Devil's Rejects. Like Mm -hmm. I think that idea of kind of this like demented family and their dynamics kind of feel intriguing. So I guess I'd be interested in seeing more of that. But that was a stretch for me because like I said, in all honesty, I don't think that there's much I would actually like to see changed. I'm all for that. It could just add to more of this dialogue that especially as you revisit this movie, something that may seem innocent all of a sudden becomes really, really sinister when he says, oh, she's just perfect. It's all working out perfectly. And you're thinking, okay, that's a weird way of addressing your wife, but you're a weirdo. So whatever, I'm going to dismiss. Now it's okay. There's a plan. Brian, what are you changing? Uh, this is one of my NAs. Uh, wow. Well, 
the thing is, like, I, I've really railed against so many different things in this movie. Yes, you have. But, I know. I'm I, would, I, I would change a lot. Like, I, I, but, but the thing is, as a whole, when I take it as a cohesive effort and how I felt at the end of the film, maybe the fact that I had so much to say about it as a whole leads to its credibility is what it was. So I don't have something I want to change because all of the things that I would probably change would lead it to be something different than it is. And I frankly like what it is. I appreciate that. That's interesting for the, so, the final product is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really darn one thing because I think everything was probably necessary to get me to where I was at the end of it. And at the end of it, I was pleased. That's good. That's awesome. For me, I'm, I'm changing a very, very minor thing. So when Sam is exploring the house and she touches a door and we get the shot of the family sacrifice behind the door and we presume that the door is locked. I don't particularly think that scene works very well. I would rather it come later in the film when Sam is drugged and she's like staggering through the hallways. Mm -hmm. I would love her for her to grab onto that doorknob. It be unlocked. She opened the door in a drug addled phase, see the family dead in a satanic circle and then maybe stumble out and pass out. That would be my change. I think it would add a little bit more action and effect to those scenes. And uh, yeah, I, that would, that would just be how I do it, but it's a very minor change. It's changing the order. Best quote, Lizzie. I put when Greta and excuse me, Megan and Samantha are outside arguing over whether or not she should accept this job and move forward. And she's like, it's too good. This is too good to be true. And Megan says, have you ever thought about maybe it is too good to be true? Mm. Thought that that was a good line. And honestly, that's good. Those are good. It's a good phrase to live by. If it feels like it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. Yes. They followed up with this one night could change everything. Yes. It sure does. Brian, what's your best? No, no, I'm not the babysitter. Pow. Yeah. I, I've got the line right before it. Are you not the babysitter? She doesn't even get no eye before. (laughs) I got to tell you the, the middle of this movie is, is desolate without that scene. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. you're, you're not in, uh, you're invested in something's going to happen throughout because that's, what's been given to you. Like you're here for this type of movie, but you're not, you're not given any sort of violence, any sort of real rancor until she gets her face blown off. And you're like, Oh, we are still in that kind of movie. Like you right. can watch mm-hmm. the first hour in, I want to see 13 minutes of this film and being like, I don't understand what I paid for. And then right then you're like, and I'm back in like that. Yes. Like 
we're, we're, we're back in it. Like that was absolutely necessary given the absolute Sahara of everything that had happened to that point with like, without that, that was a keynote into, yeah, they're, they're ready for violence. I a hundred percent agree. That was with Greta's death. I miss her through the second half of the movie, but it's absolutely necessary to keep you invested, to keep you around because bam, 45 minutes. And then we're going to let, let you linger for about half an hour. Oh yeah. And, it's, and, it's a good long trough. Again, you're just like, Remember when that girl got her face blown off? And I will say one other thing about her death. Why did they bring her up to like the second floor of the house? Well, she was she was, she was, in the, she was the body that she trips over, it was right? The blood. And, yes, I think it's the yeah. blood that they. It's a very weird thing to be like, hey, here's this very inconsequential person that we're going to come put up on the second floor of this house randomly. Like they could have just pushed her car into the woods and said, we're done with it. It was, there was so blood strange. Everywhere. So I feel like they drained it and that's what she drank out of like the, that's kind of oh, that's what it, I said. Yeah, that was the, that was the, yeah, it was the, the mother's crazy, wrist. Yeah. The oh. crazy one. Oh, the, the, I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I don't understand why they brought her body into the house, up the stairs, like just in case she escapes, we're going to freak her out with this body of her friend here at the, bottom of the steps yeah, but that 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 includes some sort of precognition that she was going to escape i it just doesn't make sense to me why they they could have left her at the cemetery i assume she was demon baby food like that that kid's gonna oh, eat that, something. That, 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 that's fine uh, i like that that's the best that's the best <laughs> that's so super dark all right after demon that dark food. comment lizzie we're going to rate this movie zero to five stars, half star increments, unless you're Brian. What are you giving House of the Devil? <laughs> I'm giving this a solid four stars. I I really liked this movie. I think this, I like I said, I had really fearful expectations going into this movie. I was I really very hesitant to watch it. And I not only ended up, being pleasantly surprised by the movie, but I really liked it. And I think I actually recommended this movie about a day after I watched it, talking about a spooky season with somebody. So for me, I, I think that this is – it's a really good movie. It's a perfect example of how, like you said, Brian, you said it perfectly, like less is sometimes more. And this movie is a great example of that, of just let, let the work and the story speak for itself. You don't need – to be too gratuitous about it and the 1980s of it all. I just like – there's so many aspects of this movie that I really enjoy. So for me, the only thing keeping it from that five-star rating for me is just the aspect that I don't think that this is a movie I see myself revisiting often and that typically tends to play into my rating. But all in all, I mean, I think this was a fantastic movie. Nice. Love it. Brian, where'd you land? Uh, I gave this a solid three stars, and I don't mean that in a negative. Like, there's a lot of things that I had qualms with. And then when I came to the end of the film, I was like, but I didn't hate it. Like, I, I, I was kind of into it. Like, everything that made it what it was was different. And I think when you take a 1980s styled film, 
that you're doing in 2009 and then actually making me surprised about some things like that's a worthy conglomeration of interesting aspects to make it a, a, a very watchable film. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's very watchable. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to hold this up in the annals of like, this is what I'm saying about horror, but I do think that this is a very entertaining film. Excellent. I'll take it. This is actually, it's not high, but it is in my top 200 horror movies. I think it's in the 190 range. I came in at four stars. I do think it, the biggest criticism of this movie, if you go out to the internet, uh, is it suffers from pacing issues. And I, I think I agree. I think it does suffer a little bit from pacing issues. It can be a little tough, but it is one that I constantly revisit because it just becomes a different movie on a rewatch. And this is my version of comfy horror. I will go to my slashers, but for whatever reason, this atmospheric, cheap little movie works for me. So I, I will just watch it again and again and just hear those lines in my head. And at a certain point, I know, okay, going through the house for a little bit, I can tune, tune in and out. But yes, uh, four stars for me. So I'm glad, glad a new movie. It's it's always nice when a dealer's choice works out. Glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, sadly, we must say goodbye to Spooky Season. This is our last spooky movie of the year. But hey, we are over two. We don't have to. Uh, we, we have to. We have to, and here's why. Over 200 episodes, we have not done a single Sandra Bullock movie. So we've got to fix that right now. Brian, all three of our choices today are going to star Academy Award-winning actress Sandra Bullock. So option one, Hope Floats from 1998. Bertie Calvert must choose between her morals and her heart after her husband divorces her and a charming young man who her daughter disapproves of comes back into her life. Option two, Miss Congeniality from 2000. An FBI agent must go undercover in the Miss United States beauty pageant to prevent a group from bombing the event. Or option three, two weeks notice from 2002. A lawyer decides that she's used too much like a nanny by her boss, so she walks out on him. I think we have to go 100% on miscongeniality here. Absolutely. I'm ready for that good time. Yes. I, I love it. That's too much fun. I, I cannot believe we made it this far and have not done a single one of her movies. So that'll be fun. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Brian. It's good to have you again on The Dealer's Choice for October. It's yes. been fun. I, I look fun. forward to next year. Uh, thank you all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro or email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but it is not free. We've got server fees and things like that. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and goes towards making the show better for you, the listeners. So as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? 
because I always thought that when God was making beautiful things, he messed up with sunflowers.